Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you uh, and a very good morning to everyone and welcome to IPC's third quarter results and operations update presentation. My name is Mike Nicholson, I'm the CEO. I'm also joined this morning by Christoph Nergararian, the CFO, and Rebecca Gordon, who is our VP of Corporate Planning and Investor Relations. I'll plan to start in the usual format by walking you through the operational results for the third quarter. I'll then pass across to Christoph. He'll take you through the detailed financial numbers for the third quarter and the, and the year to date. And then we'll return and participants joining on the conference call will have the opportunity to ask questions. So to begin with the highlights for the third quarter of 2020, I'd like to start by saying, obviously, the third quarter was much better um, than the market lows that we saw during the second quarter of 2020. And really, one of the largest single factors driving the improvement was the production curtailment announcements by OPEC Plus and, and other producers. And that really saw the market as we moved into the third quarter, uh, move into a position of, of deficit and we saw the stock levels drawing down as the, the market rebalancing process started. And, of course, that fed through into more favorable commodity prices. Absolute Brent prices were up from the lows of $30 a barrel that we saw during the second quarter to, to slightly over $40 per barrel during the third quarter. And, Christoph, we'll talk about Canadian realizations, but we did see improved Canadian differentials as we moved into the third quarter. So if we turn now to the, to the IPC highlights, Q3 average net production was just under 42,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. That was better than we had expected, and it was really driven by a strong performance with faster-than-forecast ramp-up predominantly at our uh, two core assets in Canada. As a result of that strong third-quarter performance, we're now revising upwards our full year guidance above the, the upper end of our previous uh, guidance range to in excess of 41,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Also good performance on the, on the cost side. Q2 operating costs per BOE uh, were $12.40. Putting that together with the first half, that gives us a year-to-date operating cost per BOE of $12 per barrel. So we're now expecting for our full year numbers to be towards the lower end of our previous guidance range of $12 to $13 per BOE. No change to the, to the CapEx guidance, $80 million still expected for the full year. And what we've really seen with that stronger production and oil price environment is a significant improvement in the overall liquidity position of the company. You'll recall that during the second quarter, we announced that we'd refinanced both our international and Canadian RBL facilities, and we'd also put in place a very low-cost, unsecured French facility. During the third quarter, we generated $37 million of operating cash flow. And more importantly, given the significant expenditure reductions, we've moved from a cash flow neutrality position during the second quarter to generating $23 million of free cash flow during the third quarter. And when you take the market cap that we had at the end of September of around $280 million, that represents a, a free cash flow yield of in excess of 8% in the third quarter. The, debt, the cash flow generation was used to, to reduce our debt levels predominantly. Um, we saw net debt fall from $341 million at the end of the second quarter to $322 million by the end of September. And the, that means that the previously guided financial headroom that we'd originally expected by the end of the year of in excess of $100 million US dollars was actually achieved already by the end of the third quarter. 
On the ESG side, pleased to report no material incidents. We continue to be very diligent with respect to the COVID protection measures and the enhanced screening uh, that we have at all of our operational sites. No impact on any of our operations as a result of the coronavirus during uh, the third quarter. And we have previously mentioned uh, that we'd secured the 2020 portion of the carbon offsetting projects that we'd committed as part of our five-year commitment. I'm very pleased to announce this morning that in parallel with the publication of our third quarter results that we have for the first time uh, published IPC's first sustainability report. And amongst a number of other measures, I'll come back to that, that reaffirms our commitment to reducing our greenhouse gas emissions intensity to the global average uh, by 2025. And I'll come back to put some more details around that later on in the presentation. So now if we walk through some of the individual items in a, in a little bit more detail and we start with our, our production. Uh, as I mentioned, third quarter production was above forecast at just under 42,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. You'll recall that we did mention during the third quarter that we had started the progressive ramp up of the production that had been curtailed in Canada, predominantly our Suffield oil and our Onion Lake thermal assets. You'll see that in early July, we did take two shutdowns on two of our biggest facilities, the Onion Lake Thermal Facility and our offshore Bertam FPSO. Very good execution by both our teams in Malaysia and in Canada on those turnarounds. And as you look at the chart on the right-hand side, you can see really strong and steady progressive recovery on our production through late July and into the rest of the third quarter. In Canada... Um, good performance and faster than forecast ramp up at Suffield and Onion Lake Thermal. <clears throat> Very steady performance from our Suffield gas asset. And on the international side, following the, the FPSO turnaround, we were still able to sustain uptime performance of 100% during the third quarter if we exclude the planned shutdown, which was really a phenomenal performance by our team in Malaysia. And you'll see a very steady performance uh, across all of our producing assets in our in our French business. So what does that mean in terms of the progression of our guidance through through the year? I did mention on the summary slide that we are increasing our full year guidance. The the last guidance that we gave was during our second quarter presentation. That was 37 to 40,000 barrels of oil equivalent uh, per per day. Uh, Year-to-date production, so for the first nine months, was actually in excess of 41,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And as you can see from the chart on the previous slide, we are today producing at levels in excess of that. So we now anticipate that our full year 2020 average production will be uh, slightly above 41,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. On the cost side, uh, no change to the guidance that we gave during the, the second quarter. Of course, we did announce a dramatic reduction in our original February guidance. In our capital markets day, we'd forecast a, a capital budget of in excess of $160 million. We've always stated that we are in the fortunate position that we operate all of our assets, which of course means that we do have a very high degree of discretion and we have the ability to move very swiftly and, and either decelerate or accelerate our investment program. But given the uncertainties with respect to the second wave of the pandemic, we feel it's still very important to take a, a cautious approach with respect to our capital rationing. So we don't expect to change our expenditure forecast for the remainder of this year. And we're retaining that 50% reduction to $80 million for the full year on the CapEx and decommissioning side. In terms of our OPEX, continued delivery on the OPEX reduction uh, program. Our low pricing strategy is still maintained in all regions. We still have a number of our, our wells that are shut in, that are higher marginal cost wells. Major assets, though, Suffield Onion, Onion Lake Thermal, are now recovering, and we'll see when we go into the individual asset slides that we're getting back up to pre-curtailment rates on, on those assets. And, and as a result of that, with our first nine months average operating cost per barrel, $11.90 per BOE, we of course now expect 
a bias towards the bottom end of our full year operating cost guidance forecasts of $12 to $13 per BOE. Turning in a little bit more detail on the liquidity position, of course, we're very pleased uh, during the second quarter to be able to announce that we had increased our international reserve-based lending facility to 140 million US dollars and extend the maturity of that facility out to December 2024. Likewise, we refinanced the Canadian facility and that stands at 350 million Canadian dollars and again the maturity of that facility was extended out to, to May 2022 and the leverage covenant was removed from the Canadian facility as part of that, that refinancing. We were also able to put in place a very low-cost, unsecured uh, facility that was provided by the French government, 13 million euros, and the all-in cost is around half a percent for that facility. So net-net, we were able to add about 10 million US dollars to our financial headroom following all of those refinancings. And what we had guided in the second quarter results presentation is that assuming a $35 per barrel oil price for the remainder of the year and a $22 per barrel WCS price, we expected our financial headroom to increase in excess of $100 million by the end of 2020. Given the strong ramp-up in production and the fact that oil prices have been higher than those forecasts that were presented, we're now extremely pleased to report that we've accelerated achieving that target by by three months and, and have now available in excess of 100 million US dollars of available liquidity headroom. And of course, we do expect on the current forward prices at these production levels to be free cash flow positive during the fourth quarter. If we turn now and spend a few moments just on each of the individual key assets, and we start with our Suffield property in southeastern Alberta, if you look at the chart on the bottom left-hand side of the, the slide, this is our Suffield gas production. I think what's very noticeable there is the very, very steady um, low decline across the year. We've still been able to, to be very active with respect to, to our swabbing campaign and really managed to offset any natural declines as a result of that robust swabbing program. If you look on the chart on the bottom right-hand side of the slide, um, you can see the, the dramatic and swift action that we took during the second quarter when we, we saw Canadian crude prices collapsing. But I think what's just as robust is the recovery on the other side and how quickly we ramped back up to, to pre-curtailment rates. And one of the things that has helped us get back up so quickly has been the, the really good performance on our end-to-end enhanced oil recovery project that we started last year, we're starting to see some really good well productivities, which means that notwithstanding the fact that we did take a pause on the chemical injections during the low oil price period, uh, our ramp up of N2N is actually still running ahead of those pre-curtailment forecasts. So that stands us in, in good stead as we, as we look forward to the months ahead. All remaining 2020 development activity is still, is still on hold. We had originally planned a 20-well uh, development well campaign on our Suffield oil assets. We, we drilled six wells during the first quarter, but we don't expect to continue any more drilling activity through the remainder of 2020. We have still been working on maturing additional targets for 2021 uh, to support an organic growth programme, but I think given the uncertainties, it's too early to see whether we're likely to to restart that program as we move into 2021. I think we're likely to take a, a more cautious um, approach to capital budgeting for next year as well. Turning to our Onion Lake thermal property, if you look at the chart, it's a similar story to that that we saw for the Suffield oil, very swift action taken um, in the second quarter to reduce production. What we did was we actually shut in one train, effectively 6,000 barrels a day of capacity, but we continued to, to inject steam with the objective of maintaining pressure and temperature across all of the individual well pads that you can see um, that produce our Onion Lake Thermal 
oil. You can see the map on the right-hand side there. And really the objective there was to ensure that we would have good and fast recovery um, back to pre-curtailment levels. And if you look at the chart on the, the bottom of the slide, you can see that we've managed successfully to ramp production back up through the third quarter um, to pre-curtailment rates in the 10 to 11,000 barrels per day range. Pleased to report that we, we did complete the last of the drilling of our D-prime activity. The bulk of the, the drilling was completed during the first quarter. Um, and through 2020, we've completed a total of five producers and 14 steam injectors. And the plan will be that in towards the set, end of the second quarter next year, we're likely to tie in those um, this well pad and start to ramp production up. And that has the ability to, to add up to 2,000 barrels a day of incremental production capacity through the second half of 2021. If we look on our Malaysian Bertam field now, again, we've had very high facility uptime, 100% if we exclude the planned maintenance shutdown, strong base well performance, which has been slightly lower um, than forecast declines. Um, we, we did take the decision at the end of the first quarter to suspend uh, the sidetrack operations on our A15 well. You can see the A15 potential that's shut in, and what we expect is to conduct that sidetrack activity during 2021. The team in Malaysia are still busy maturing additional organic growth opportunities in, in the Malaysian field. We're still looking in that A15, A20 northeastern part of the field to determine if there are any incremental infill drilling opportunities. And a lot of work's been done in looking at pump optimizations and uh, we may well put in place a program to start to replace some pumps in the main part of the field to see if we can drive liquid production rates slightly slightly higher. So overall, a very good performance from the from the Bertam field during the third quarter. Turning now to to France, we we did have during the the second quarter, uh, we did have to curtail production as a result of a coronavirus outbreak in the Total operated Grand Puy refinery. You can see that that refinery is back up um, and running and we've recovered production levels back to pre-curtailment rates in excess of 3,000 barrels of, of oil per day. All development activity remains on hold um, in France. We did originally have in our 2020 capital budget plans to complete three wells on the western flank of our Villepardieu field, but that's suspended um, pending uh, a recovery uh, in, in oil prices. Total did announce during uh, the, the third quarter that they planned to discontinue crude oil refining at their Grand Prix facility starting in the first quarter uh, of 2021. We do have a, a contract in place with Total for a Grand Prix offtake through to the end of 2021, so there won't be any impact on 2021 operations. And what the team is busy doing, working in combination with Vermilion, who also produced in the Paris Basin, and Total, is to review um, the medium and long-term uh, offtake arrangements to optimise those. So that's looking at trucking, it's looking at barge operations, and the potential for, for rail export uh, to put in place long-term solutions as we come into 2022 and beyond. And finally, as I, as I mentioned on the first slide, um, with respect to IPC's sustainability strategy, since we spun the company out from London Energy now back in 2017, integration of all ESG aspects has, has always been extremely important, and we've you know, we've incorporated that into our governance framework and, and all of our business activities. And, and this quarter, we're, we've now really seen a step change in, in IPC's non-financial disclosure with the publication of our first sustainability report, which is in line with the Global Reporting Initiative standards. And really, the, the idea is this, this is our first report, but it's going to establish a baseline for us to give annual updates on on our progress as we move forward. And we'll be reporting on the material um, issues such as the environment, social and, 
and, and, and governance. And as a result, to show our commitment, we also uh, joined the United Nations Global Compact during the, the third quarter. This is one of the largest corporate sustainability initiatives that was set up by uh, Kofi Annan, and it celebrated its 20th anniversary this year. So we're very pleased to, to be a participant company now to the UN uh, Global Compact. As we, as we first launched back in our February Capital Markets Day, um, you know, IPC put in place uh, a commitment and a, and a strategy to, to lower our net emissions intensity to the global industry average of 20 kilograms of CO2 per BOE by 2025, which is, represents a 50% reduction in our 2019 levels. And, and our plans are really to achieve that through reductions in our operating emissions, also with uh, carbon offsetting. And very pleased that we've formed and established a partnership with First Climate. They've been operating in this field for in excess of 20 years, and we have secured our 2020 offset credits as part of that five-year commitment and, and journey. So it's a, it's a very good report. There's a lot of good work has gone into that, and I would encourage people to, to read the report to see really the good work that is going on within the company. So that concludes my part of the presentation. I'd like now to pass across to Christoph, and he will take you through uh, the financial results. So over to you, Christoph. Yep. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, good morning to everyone. So as Mike mentioned, the, for, the, for the financial highlights, this, um, this quarter was actually the, the best quarter for 2020. Obviously, 2020 has been a challenging year, but in that challenging year, this third quarter is by far the, the, um, has, has generated the best financial performance. We've seen, as mentioned, a strong ramp up on our Canadian oil production, and uh, that has allowed us to, to produce just shy of 42,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day during this third quarter, making the average production for the first nine months in excess of 41,000 barrels equivalent per day, which is now where we, we are reguiding our, our full year average production performance. So best, uh, best quarter in, uh, in 2020, the, the cost uh, in parallel to a strong production, our cost remained under control uh, at, at $12 for the, for the first nine months, $12.4 per BOE for this quarter. And so on the back of the performance for the, for the first three quarters, we're comfortable in guiding that our, our average operating cost for the full year will be at the, the low end of the range we, we previously guided from 12 to 13 US dollar per barrels of oil equivalent. Our operating cash flow and EBITDA, respectively at uh, 37, 34 million US dollar, actually represent more than 50% of the, the OCF and EBITDA for the first nine months. So indeed, a good quarter. Uh, th that good quarter not only uh, was supported by this ramp-up in production, but also by stronger oil prices. And even though the Brent was only 43 US dollars per barrel this quarter, we enjoyed in Canada a fairly tight WTI-WCS differential, which really supported strong realized prices in, um, in Canada. The WCS was twice as high in this quarter as, the, as, as it was in the second quarter at 32 US dollar per barrel versus 17, uh, lower than 17 in the, in the second quarter. And more, more importantly, realized prices for our two largest oil assets in Canada, Surfield and Onion Lake, were, were, were more than twice as high as the, than the, the second quarter, explaining why that performance was um, was really helped helped by the, the the this tight differential in the in the third quarter. It's worth mentioning on that front that at Onion Lake, we used to sell our oil as uh, as we were producing it. Uh, I mean before any blending, 
And so we were receiving a, a six to eight US dollar per barrel discounts because of the, the quality, because it was heavier than the, the WCS. Now, we in this quarter, we've started to actually ship some of our Onion Lake thermal oil production directly into pipe, where we enjoy a much uh, better net back this quarter. So we are buying we're buying some condensate to blend before we ship this oil onto the onto the pipe and the result is that we're getting a much better net back so you you will be able to see from this third quarter increased revenues but also increased production cost as a result of the fact that we are blending uh, more condensate into our oil to sell it at uh, the WCS so you can see on this realized oil prices slide 14 that uh, Onion Lake uh, realized price was just $3 below the WCS, much better than the $7 discount achieved in the first and second quarter. In France and Malaysia, happy to report that the, the discounts or premium are normalizing, and uh, we expect the, the discount in France to further normalize at uh, closer to the historical levels of around minus one dollar to the to the to the brand in the in the fourth quarter in terms of uh, gas prices on slide 15 the um, it's pretty clear now when you look at the graph at the bottom of that slide that uh, there is virtually no more in the spot market at least there is virtually no more um, no, no more premium or differential between Empress and echo but echo is much much stronger and uh, and so that's the first point, and we expect that uh, that situation to to stay as is for the for the foreseeable future. What is more important, actually, is that gas prices have become much stronger. Uh, it's not yet apparent in the realized price gas price for the third quarter, but you can see at the bottom of the graph that gas prices have moved in excess of three Canadian dollar per MCF. Uh, and um, it, it is actually very much the case right now with October pricing at above 3.30 Canadian dollar per, per MCF. Going forward, and that will be one of the, the slides further down the, this presentation, but we've hedged and or sold forward some of our gas production securing already for 2021 realized prices, gas prices in excess of uh, three Canadian dollar per MCF, so very very positive development and good support from uh, gas prices. On the, if you if you compare uh, our financial results, despite the fact that uh, we've had a, a very good quarter for 2020, if you look at the the, the year-to-date performance on operating cash flow EBITDA. We've, um, we've only generated a third or not even a third of uh, the 2019 performance. And uh, that is really a result of the, the lower brand, a combination of lower brand prices, lower WCS prices, and, um, and, uh, and the lower 10% lower production. So we hope to continue to see the, the, the market and the oil prices recover. We are hopeful that the, the differential, WTI, WCS differential, is going to remain tight, given that overall the, the Canadian production is lower than it used to be, making some more egress export capacity available to us and uh, other Canadian producers. Operating costs have remained uh, under control. Uh, it looks easy when you look at a slide like this, but actually, it took our teams lots of effort and creativity to reduce the, the cost base because some of our cost base is actually fixed cost. But despite that uh, obvious challenge, we were able to, to lower generally the cost base and on the dollar barrel maintain low operating cost at uh, 12 US dollar per BOE. And we expect, um, as Mike mentioned, we've revised or full year guidance to the low end of our initial guidance at 12 US dollar per BUE for the for the full year. In terms of net back, the again you can see that the the the, the third quarter was was much better than uh, the previous quarters. It was um, it was close to 
10 US dollar per BOE for, for cash margin or for operating cash flow. EBITDA would be uh, just shy of that, that number at uh, nine point, almost 9.5 US dollar per BOE. And you can see that this third quarter performance was actually 50% higher than the or year-to-date uh, net back performance, but still unfortunately short of what we obviously realized in, uh, in 2019. The, in this third quarter, IPC uh, as a group was able to generate 23 million US dollars of uh, free cash flow, which were entirely directed at reducing our, our debt. The, the debt reduced from uh, 341 million US dollars at the end of June down to 322 million at the end of, um, of this quarter. And you can see that the, the operating cash flow covered all of the development capex, which was decided and executed in the first quarter before we were able to actually stop uh, virtually any and all development capex. But uh, overall, the debt still has increased since the, the beginning of this year. The, the jury is obviously out on whether the, the, the fourth quarter oil prices will be at the same level on average as the third quarter or lower, but everything being equal, we still uh, provided we're going to generate free cash flow in this uh, fourth quarter. We would, uh, we would intend to further reduce our net debt and uh, the deleveraging of our, of our balance sheet going forward. In terms of GNA, same story as uh, the OPEX per barrel. They, they remain under control. GNA as a whole uh, remain below $1 per, per barrel of oil equivalent. And if you look at uh, the financial items, you can see that uh, the, the finance costs have increased. And um, if, you, if you would compare it to the, to the previous quarters, and you can, you can expect uh, a marginal increase further into 21 of our financial cost as a result of um, the increased funding cost on the back of the refinancing of our main facilities we negotiating during this uh, this summer but um, it's uh, the refinancing of our credit facility was a, was a very strong point and our ability to extend maturity what uh, was was um, was was a big positive in, um, in June and July. So, looking at uh, the, the diagram of our financial results, as we as we show as we've shown and discussed already, just uh, as a look back, the cash margin was uh, was a, was positive at uh, 73 million US dollars. Unfortunately, with the depletion and some uh, some uh, expiration costs, GNN financial items. Both our gross profit and net profit was uh, was negative year to date. Uh, we obviously hope that the the, the annual results will be more um, cl closer to zero or positive. But um, but obviously the, we, we we will tend, as I say, to and will direct any free cash flow during the fourth quarter to further debt reduction on the on the balance sheet. The, the overall size of the balance sheet has remained almost constant. On the asset side, you can see oil and gas properties uh, virtually flat, which is the result of um, the, the granite acquisition in Canada earlier this year, less the, um, the nine months depletion, which left our oil and gas properties value virtually uh, the same. Current assets have gone down as a result of uh, lower production and lower oil and gas prices compared to the end of last year. On the, on the liability side of the, the balance sheet, the, the increased, the acquisition of uh, granite resulted in a higher financial debt increased, to, um, increased as you can see on the, on the balance sheet. But as I said, we've uh, already reduced the debt between the end of June and the end of September and will continue to do so between now and the end of the year. The, the current liabilities have increased, but actually, it's um, it's um, it, it is because the, the short some short-term debt has been accounted for here, that should be moved back into long-term 
liability once we've uh, refinanced and extended our last small credit facility, which we inherited from, uh, from Granite Acquisition. I will not uh, go into, th into each and every line of our, of our hedging portfolio, but it's important to say that uh, a third of our oil and gas production in Canada is hedged between now and the end of June. And as I said, we've hedged uh, in, in excess of 40% of our gas production uh, looking ahead into 2021 until, uh, until October 2021 at um, very decent prices indeed, which on average should secure us uh, almost three Canadian dollars per MCF. Uh, so very good, um, very, very good, very supportive gas prices, and hopefully the, we'll, we'll see that the, the diff, as I mentioned before, the WTIWCS diff on the back of a reduced overall Western Canadian oil production will remain tight going into 2021. Thank you for that, and I'll, uh, I'll hand back the, the 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 microphone to Mike for the for the conclusion. No, thank you very much, uh, Christoph. So yeah, just to to close off with the with the Q3 uh, with the Q3 highlights. Clearly, second quarter was a very challenging time, and we had to take some really swift action to completely reset our business plan and turn it on its head, and significantly cut costs, capex and opex, curtail higher margin barrel production. Um, and in the second quarter, we were obviously free cash flow neutral. And you know, as we took the decision coming into the third quarter to start to ramp up production, we've seen very strong recovery in that production performance, just under 42,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day for the third quarter. And as we touched upon during the, the presentation, we've seen a really good performance from our key assets that were curtailed, particularly our oil production assets in Canada. And as a result of that, we're now revising up our production guidance above the top end of our previously guided range to now in excess of 41,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Good delivery on our operating cost performance for the first nine months. We're running it just under $12 a barrel, which means we're in great shape to, uh, to achieve the lower end of the guidance that we gave as part of our reset business plan at $12 to $13 per barrel for the full year. CapEx reduction plans remain on track, cut by 50%, so we expect $80 million for the full year. And as Christoph went through in more detail in his presentation, really strong cash flow generation, $37 million of operating cash flow, $23 million of free cash flow, representing an 8% yield, and we've been able to apply that to debt reduction and the debt levels fall now to $322 million, which puts us in a very comfortable position of having in excess of $100 million of spare financial headroom at the end of the, the third quarter. And, and a very proud day for us all as well to be publishing our first sustainability um, report. A lot of good material. I'd encourage everyone to read that. And you can see again our reaffirm commitment to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions intensity to the global average of 20 kilograms per BOE by the end of 2025. So that concludes the, the presentation part. If we can uh, now turn back to the moderator and of course we can open up and have the opportunity to answer any questions. Thank you. If you do wish to ask a question, please press zero one on your telephone keypad. If you do wish to withdraw your question, you can do so by pressing zero two on the telephone keypad. Our first question comes from the line of Davy Brown from BMO Capital Market. Please go ahead, your line is open. Morning guys, I've just got a couple please. Firstly, uh, at Onion Lake, I'm just trying to understand the ramp up there. I might be splitting hairs a bit, but it looks like you're still maybe about a thousand barrels a day shy of where you exited 2019. So is there further ramp up from the current well stock? And, and you mentioned 2,000 barrels a day from, from D prime next year. Could you just remind us about capacity and, and potential de-bottlenecking there next year or potentially next year, um, but you know potentially after that? And, and secondly, I can 
probably get the answer, but I've, I've got to ask just around France and whether you can give us any early sense of, of costs associated with the with the new offtake routes or if, if you're just happy that Vermillion's number is a reasonable place to start at this point. Yeah, okay, no, thanks very much, David. So let, let, let me start with the, um, the Onion Lake Thermal question. No, you're right. I mean, you, when you look at the averages, we've been just above 10,000 barrels a day in, in September and October. We, 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 of course, have seen, you know, on a, on a given day, we've had production back up um, in excess of, of, of 11,000, and it just depends if there's any well downtime that starts to impact whether we're in that, you know, kind of 10 to 11,000 barrels a, a day production range. Looking forward, as, as I mentioned, we plan to tie in D-Prime, which can add additional well capacity of another 2,000 barrels a day, and that's likely to, to be ramping up on stream through the second half of next year. We did do and invested in last year in some additional facility de-bottlenecking. So the original phase one and phase two projects had 12,000 barrels a day of facility capacity and as a result of adding some additional uh, steam generation capacity in 2019, our overall facility capacity is now 14,000 barrels a day. So we can accommodate um, the ramp up of D prime through 2021 without any additional facility uh, increases. Coming back on your uh, total Gromphoe refineries, it's going to be too early to give us any any firm guidance are and our contract is slightly must be slightly different for Vermillion's. Uh, you know, Total are obliged still to receive all of our crude through 2021 at the Grand Prix refinery, so we don't anticipate any cost increases during 2021. And um, as we look to to, to estimate longer term costs, it's of course going to it's going to be balanced by any incremental cost on. Um, on barges or rail or trucking, but our Paris Basin crude is actually in line with Brent quality, and we've had this long-term contract with Total at Grand Puy, where we sell our crude at a discount to $1.50 per barrel. Now, of course, the theoretical value of that crude is, is higher than a $1.50, so if we're able to change the delivery point, that can obviously offset any impact of marginally higher transportation costs. So it's too early for us to give any firm numbers, but the teams, as I mentioned, are very actively engaged in, in putting in place medium and long-term alternatives for, for that offtake. Okay, that's helpful. Can I just come back just quickly on um, Onion Lake? You mentioned sort of well downtime. Is that normal business, or, or have you seen that sort of downtime increase post the, the shut-ins earlier this year? No, we haven't seen any material change in, in well downtime, David. I mean, you look there, we have, you know, we have a total of six, uh, well, five pads today, um, but six well pads with the drilling completed. So it's just natural. We always have, as we always factor in all of our assets, a certain amount of production downtime as we, as we do well work over. So I haven't seen any material step up in well downtime relative to historical levels. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of P.L. Nielsen from SV1 Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning, guys, and thanks for taking my, my questions. Uh, three questions, if I may. First, on, on uh, 2021 production, it looks like your fourth quarter production now will be around 41,000 barrels per day based on your new full-year guidance. Uh, as far as I understood, you won't drill anymore in fourth quarter. So should we expect some decline going into 2021? Or any comments around 2021 production would be very useful. Um, and then secondly, uh, exciting to see that you're, you're launching a, a, a new target for CO2 emissions by 2025. Could, could you be some more specific around how each that target of 20 kilos uh, and then my final question is just on leverage. Christoph, you said that uh, you were leveraging the company. Could you just provide some idea of what kind of gearing ratios you're looking for? Thank you. Okay, thanks, Tito. I'll take the first two questions, and then Christoph can answer 
uh, your last question. So, I mean, it's it's obviously too early for us to to give any firm guidance on 2021 production because we we still have to go through all of our final budget discussions um, through through December and January. But you you know you're right. 2021, let's say around you mentioned in the in the low 40s, and and we haven't got any additional drilling activity uh, through through the fourth quarter. So it's you know, it's reasonable to assume that there's going to be a certain level of, of, of natural decline. Um, and the two big, the most likely, the two big moving parts that will start to add production capacity will be bringing back on the A15 well, um, you know, which is likely to take place in the, in the second half of 2021 in the D-prime production ramp-ups. We will have, um, you know, in a, in a more conservatively uh, budgeting scenario for next year still have some incremental production capacity coming on in 2021. On your second question with respect to, to CO2, it's, you know, as I say, it's going to be a, a combination of you know, looking for further operational efficiencies and then bridging that gap um, with a voluntary carbon offsetting. And if, if you look at the kinds of things that we've done operationally in, in Malaysia, we invested in dual fuel power generation to provide the electricity to run all of our ESPs. And what that meant is we could capture the flash gas that comes off the, the separation and, and use that to, to, to generate electricity as opposed to, to, to flaring that gas. Um, in our Onion Lake Thermal project, there's been significant investment in heat recovery units that again reduce the need for us to um, to, to buy gas to, to, to generate steam. And between those two initiatives alone, we removed about 150,000 tonnes of CO2 from, from, from our emissions. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be able to continue to deliver that, that year on year, but we'll be challenging our businesses to, to obviously increase the efficiency of all of our facilities. In terms of carbon offsetting, um, the first project that we've partnered with First Climate in for 2020 um, relates to acquiring carbon offsets that are generated from two power plants and solar power plants um, in the Punjab region in, um, in northern India. It supplies clean energy for around 200,000 people. And, of course, with the, the power generation mix in India being 70% coal-fired generated, if these solar projects can move forward, and that clearly crowds out significant emissions. So any gap we would plan to bridge with um, with carbon offsetting between now and the end of 2025. Christoph? Yeah, on the, on, on, on the gearing ratio, we, we, don't, we don't have a, a gearing ratio target per se. Uh, what we recognize is that we've increased the leverage of our balance sheet in the, in the course of 2020 with uh, for obvious reasons, uh, initially an acquisition and then poor prices in the in the second quarter. As you've seen in the third quarter, we have uh, directed all of our free cash flow to reducing the debt. We're going to continue on doing the same in Q4. Uh, we've soft-guided that we expect um, a reasonably low capex budget in uh, 2021. It's too early to disclose more, but directionally, uh, we, we wouldn't qualify 2021 as, as a heavy capex uh, budget given the current uncertainty. And so we're, con we're, we're going to continue to deleverage the, the balance sheet. Um, again, a bit too early to tell, but we should, uh, we should have a net debt to EBITDA ratio just above uh, three times by the, by the end of this year. And so we would definitely like to bring that below three times in the in the course of 2021. Thank you. That's useful. Thank you. We have one more question on the ball. Once again, if you do wish to ask a question, please press zero one on the telephone keypad right now. Our next question comes from Mark Wilson from Jefferies. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Good, good morning, gents. Um, uh, another uh, solid presentation you've shown you can generate free cash flow. Um, you just commented then uh, about the 
net debt to EBITDA, you want to get that down, uh, which makes sense. But let, I'd just like to get some comments on the, the market uh, environment for, for further M&A from here. Um, do you think that further bolt-ons in Canada, given the, uh, the commitment to reducing carbon, would not be the area you're looking at? And, and I'm wondering if we might expect some, any international um, developments in the in the coming year, particularly, you know, I've seen Petronas with uh, comments regarding their um, their asset disposals. Possibly, uh, would where do you think we'd be looking, if at all, um, for future bolt-ons? Thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you very mu- much, Mark, for, for for the question. And you know, I think our our position with respect to to M and A, I would say, is is unchanged since since the spin-off. We've never wanted to to put ourselves in a in a geographical box and and rule out any particular areas it's always going to be a, you know a value based um, decision and it always starts with the quality of the subsurface and where we can see long term upside from 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 those assets so so we continue to very actively you know look at assets in Canada um, and look at assets internationally and of course if if we make acquisitions, we'll have to evolve our, um, you know, our emissions intensity strategy and, and factor those costs into 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 any into any acquisitions. I think it's, you know, given where all prices are, though, um, you know, I, th- I think certainly there's there does seem to be quite a big uh, differential, particularly in the asset market, with respect to. You know where sellers' expectations are, and where companies are currently trading at significant discounts to the to the fair value of their assets. So, of course, it, it certainly becomes more challenging to to look at bringing in new assets into into the company, uh, given that where our stock is currently trading. So, you know, if you like asset acquisitions, we'd always have to compete with a, the theoretical buyback valuation of the of the assets that we we currently own and. And any M&A corporate deals, again, would have to ensure that we're going to be accretive to, to the long-term cash flow and value um, proposition for, for IPC. And I think given where the small independents are trading, of course, that does make it more challenging to make um, asset and in the corporate acquisitions work. But we still continue to, to be very proactive and, 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 and are as aggressive in our approach to, to looking and screening assets. Okay, guys, thank you. And then just a um, on a detail, uh, Christoph, the, the net debt dividend, um, just just reminded that you said that there's no covenants against the, the refinance facilities. Are there any covenants against any of the facilities that we should be aware of? No, we have, we, we, we have, we have a current ratio uh, which, uh, which says that uh, we need to have more current assets, including the available portion of uh, undrawn facilities higher than uh, current liabilities, which uh, has been consistently the case uh, since uh, IPC inception. So it's really nothing material. Uh, and indeed, uh, what could have been more material is a leverage ratio, and uh, there's nothing like that. Um, it's fair to say, on the other hand, that the leverage ratio will drive up or down the, the the cost in uh, especially in Canada, but uh, that that's just the that's just the way the, the those facilities work in Canada, and that's uh, that's a common feature. Right. Uh, okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. We have no more questions from the lines. I will have to move back to our speakers. Please go ahead. Okay. Thanks very much. Um, Moderator, we we have a couple of questions from the web. Um, I think we've already comprehensively answered the Grand Prix and M&A questions that we have on there. A couple of additional questions. First of all, Mike, do you see room to restart buybacks of IPC stocks in the coming six to nine months? Um, I think as as both myself and Christoph have said, uh, clearly the weakness in oil prices that we've seen through 2020 have um, you know have seen our leverage levels increase. Above where we'd originally anticipated, so I think in the in the short term, it's fair to say the focus is going to be on deleveraging um, over share buybacks in the short term. Okay, thank you. Um, question from Miguel Christoph: Are you looking to increase significantly natural gas production? 
Um, Just a note. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, um, our, our, our gas production has been uh, fairly stable in um, in, in Canada at uh, at Suffield, and uh, we're we're intending through a, uh, an aggressive swabbing program again in 2021 to maintain that gas production as much as possible. As we've said in the past, uh, it's been the case in Q1 this. Yeah, it's been the case even in the second quarter, obviously the case again, and more and more going into 2021, if gas prices remain where they are, we are continuously making money through our, our gas production in, uh, in, in Canada. So, so yeah, we want to we maintain, uh, we want to maintain this uh, gas production from Sheffield in Canada. And maybe just one, one follow-up. We haven't, we haven't, since we acquired the property in early 2018, we've never drilled a single gas well. So, as, as Christoph says, all the work has been optimization. Um, should we see a run on gas prices, we, we do have 2,500 identified infill drilling locations, um, which sits behind the 30 million barrels of oil equivalent of contingent resources that we have on our books. So, no immediate plans. But I think it is worth drawing your attention that if we see you know, higher gas prices from these levels, we do have a significant inventory of, of um, undrilled locations. Yep. <clears throat> um, a couple of questions from James Hosey. Mike, at what oil prices, Brent and WCS, do you expect to be free cash flow positive in 2021? And then secondly, how quickly could you restart drilling activity at Suffield if market conditions supported it? Okay, you know, no, thank you. So, yeah, James, in, in response to to the first question, obviously a little bit early to give any firm guidance, given that we haven't, um, you know, finalised or set our 2021 capital expenditure uh, budgets. But I guess all we can uh, draw your attention to is the kind of levels that we've seen through the third quarter. So, you know, when we're producing just over 40,000 barrels a day, with Brent prices at 42 and differentials around $10 per barrel, it was a very light capex quarter, $7.4 million US dollars of capex, and, and we're able to generate in excess of $20 million of free cash flow. So at least it gives you a little bit of guidance in terms of where the company is generating um, free cash flow with, with those particular um, benchmarks in the rearview mirror. In terms of the question on the, the oil restart at, at Suffield, we've, we've done all our environmental sweeps. To, we have the, the drilling permits in place, and there's no issue with respect to, um, to acquiring rigs, as you can imagine, in, in today's market environment. So that's something that we can very quickly um, restart. It, it remains to be seen, but of, of course, because we share the, the property with the Canadian military, Typically, we've seen reduced activity in the in the summer months through from from May to October. But the one thing we have seen with the coronavirus is training activities have been suspended. So that gives us additional potential um, for site access if um, if we see market conditions and prices uh, to improve to to restart that that drilling program. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, one final question from Jasper Holmberg, Christoph, on blending. Yep. So. Blending of onion lake oil, is that done with oil or condensate that's produced from an IPC portfolio? Uh, can Ferguson Field act as a blender and is there a strategic strategy with Ferguson and Blackrock for blending? Yeah, thank you very much. So actually, the, in terms of blending, we're using uh, condensate or C5, which is, uh, which is uh, lighter than Brent and lighter than, uh, than Ferguson. So when it comes to blending, we're buying condensate on the market, which uh, currently prices at a discount to WTI, and, uh, and so that so that comes that comes as a, as a producing cost, but increasing we're selling more oil than we're producing as a result of that blending, so we're also increasing revenues net net, um, and until as long as the differential between WTI and WCS is higher. Then call it two or three dollar, which historically has been always the case. Uh, it uh, it is a net loss when we're blending because the cost of the condensate is is higher than um, is higher than the WCS. But 
currently it makes more sense to actually blend. It generates much better net back than uh, just transporting this, uh, these barrels on, um, on rail. So there is, no, there is no strategy of using any of our own production to blend uh, with some of our heavier oil production. But obviously Ferguson is, um, is uh, realizing prices above WCS at a premium to WCS, which is, uh, which is synthetically uh, sort of a hedge and a positive to our, to our Canadian oil production portfolio. Okay, thanks, Christophe. That's all the web questions. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, may, may, maybe just uh, because we, we've had some questions on France and we had a reference to, uh, to the Vermillon press release. We believe that uh, the, the number they quoted was on the, the high end of the, the transportation cost. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't suggest uh, you to use that as the, the clear benchmark. We expect to have lower cost per barrel than what was originally guided by them. Okay, and back to Mike to close off. Okay, so I'd like to thank everyone for your time and attention to tune in to third quarter uh, release. I think we've seen you know, really good response as we've brought back our production back up to, to pre-curtailment levels and obviously combined with the higher oil price environment, that's put the company in a strong position to generate good free cash flow and reduce debt levels and also very proud of the fact that we've published our first sustainability report. So we look forward to, to talking to everyone again for the year-end results presentation in early February and our Capital Markets Day presentation. It looks forward to 2021. So thank you very much for your time and attention this morning. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.